Here it is. Here it is in the text that Jesus is on the cross giving his life as a sacrifice for all of humanity. And for some reason, the physician Luke decides to turn the camera away from Jesus and turns it to the church. And right there in the place of the church, the place where the Holy of Holies is separated from the rest of the church, the Bible declares that in that moment, the veil is torn from top to bottom. It's rent in two. The veil has been taken away. So now there is interest into the heart of God. I want to suggest to us right now that even in moments like this, as we stand, as we remember, as we honor the life of people like George Floyd, that I want to suggest that in the midst of his final words on that day, that the veil has been taken down for some people's eyes. There are some who have been living in this country. There are some who have been walking in this country believing that all is well. Believing that there is no difference based on the color of your skin. Believing that equal rights have been given to everybody. But I believe with his final words, it was demonstrated, it was made obvious, the veil has been uncovered, that racism still exists. That injustice is still visible. So here it is that access has now been given to everybody so that you might see what's really happening. You are listening to the Reverend Dr. Daryl Horton, who is the associate pastor at Mount Zion Baptist Church here in Austin, Texas, and also the next guest on the Pastor Cast. Grace and peace, everybody. It's Pastor Leon Bloder, and this is the Pastor Cast, a podcast that is focused on the intersections of faith and life and church and everything in between. Thanks for joining us once again. And uh, we are going to be continuing some conversations that we've been having on the Pastor Cast conversations about racial injustice. And we've had some great guests so far, and we've got some more coming up, including my guest. Right now, Pastor Daryl Horton, the Reverend Dr. Daryl Horton, who just recently received his Doctor of Ministry and is the Associate Pastor of Mount Zion Baptist Church here in Austin, Texas, an historic church, been here for 147 years, uh, under the same pastor for the last 50 years, and uh, Daryl is the Associate Pastor there. Uh, and uh, works with their youth, among other things. And Daryl has also been a great voice uh, and a great leader and advocate uh, and an activist for racial justice here in Austin. Uh, Building bridges, making connections between church leaders, Daryl has done it all. And I'm so pleased to have him as a guest. And so let's get right into it. Uh, I want you all to meet Pastor Daryl Horton, and to hear what he has to say about how things are going now after all of the upheaval, after all of the events of the last couple of months, how are things going now? Where are we headed and what's the way forward? So let's jump right in and hear from Daryl. Uh, thanks for being here, Daryl. It's such a huge uh, honor. You're like a, a celebrity in Austin now. I, I like you're on you in the newspaper. I see you on video. <laughs> I don't know what it is, man. I'm I'm just trying to do my part. Uh, yeah, but, but it's it's, a, it's an honor to be here and to be a part of it, and just uh, a blessing to have you as a friend, man. Thank you. 
Yeah. And it's, I've, I've been so blessed to, to get to know you and I, I, I really am looking forward to, to doing more of that. And hopefully there will be a day when we can just do that in person and, you know, we want to worry about it. So, yeah. well, um, t- just tell us a little bit about your, your background and, um, you know, and, and what you're, what you're doing, what you're, you know, how you're serving now and, you know, just that kind of thing. Sure thing. Um, so I'm, I'm actually a native Austinite. Uh, mm. I've been in the city all of my life, except wow. for about a three and a half year period with my wife being active duty military. And mm. so I've been here to watch Austin change quite a bit. I bet. <laughs> <over> my <lifetime. laughs> um, as you mentioned, I'm, I'm serving at the Mount Zion Baptist Church here in Austin, uh, a church that is 147 years old this year mm, and wow. serving under the amazing leadership of our senior pastor, Reverend uh, uh, Dr. G.B. Clark. Uh, this year, we're actually celebrating his 50th year at Mount Zion. Wow. And so, uh, you know, and so we're, we're celebrating that. His birthday is actually in the month of July. And so there's, a, you know, there's a lot of things to celebrate for Mount Zion and for him. Um, I've been at Mount Zion since 2002 as a member, uh, mm-hmm. became officially part of the staff in 2008 when I left the semiconductor industry um, to come into full-time paid ministry and so um, undergraduate degree is is, uh, engineering and then everything else with graduate school has been theology seminary from there and so right now we're just I think doing probably the same thing you're doing and everybody else trying to manage the virus and (laughs) communicate with our people and figure out what does it mean for the church to be open without being open so. <laughs> yeah, you know, and the and so despite everything else that's been going on in the world and in the country around us, yes. you know, the the day to day pastoring, the day to day stuff does not go away. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Sun, Sunday's always coming, man. <laughs> and I didn't believe it earlier, but I do believe it now that it comes quicker than you would ever imagine. It's hard to believe, but it's been just a little over two months since the murder of George Floyd and the protests that followed. And in the subsequent days, there was a lot of interest. There were a lot of folks who were wanting to know more, trying to learn, listening, getting engaged. And it was all over the news media. The stories abounded. But now it feels as though that the news media across the board have moved on to other stories. The problems haven't gone away. The issues haven't changed. And so I wanted to know what Pastor Daryl thought about that and what he might have to say in response. People in the news cycle have moved on to bigger, better things, at least in their opinion, you know, what's more newsworthy and uh, Mm -hmm. the protests have stopped, you know, all of those things, at least around, around Texas and Austin, we know that there's still some stuff happening out in the Northwest, but um, I think for us, uh, and when I say us, I'm thinking about the Mount Zion congregation and the African-American community as I know it. For many of us, it is still uh, in the forefront of what we're thinking about. Mm-hmm. You know, the virus is, is, is still on a lot of people's minds because unfortunately people are still getting sick. People unfortunately are still passing away. And so that's always in front of you. But as part of the African-American community, we're still reminded as we look at the numbers that they're you know, a disproportionate number of of people of color who are getting sick and who are dying. And um, so for us, we're still 
thinking about George Floyd and thinking about the Breonna, Ta the Breonna Taylors. And, and we're still thinking about all of those things because that's still a day-to-day -day reality. Even though right. we're not driving and going places as much as we normally do, for many people, there's still the fear <clears throat> that I could be mm -hmm. on Interstate 35 and get pulled over and I have to worry about not catching a virus from somebody, but how is this encounter going to go? Mm -hmm. um, and then the virus not making it any easier that if I go into a Walmart or go into an HEB or whatever I do wearing the mask, what perceptions, what stereotypes do I have to deal with, you know, as an African-American male wearing a mask, just trying to do what everybody else does. So the, the whole race thing and everything else, it still stays in our minds right now, even though the news cycle may be trying to move on. I recently read an article that was written by some black church leaders who were addressing an issue that was troubling them. These kinds of things have happened before. There have been moments of police brutality that have ended in death, and there have been protests that follow. And so these black church leaders said that we've had these moments before where the white church leaders have reached out to them, where they have felt like there was going to be some kind of breakthrough, that there would be some kind of unity, that they would feel as though they had allies. And then it faded. And in some cases, they experienced what they referred to in the article as white lash, a weariness on behalf of the white church leaders who were tiring of talking about the issue, who were becoming uncomfortable the deeper that they went. I asked Daryl if this was something that was concerning to him, that there were lots of church leaders from majority white congregations who were going to conferences, reading books, but then that would be it, that it would be back to business as usual, that there wouldn't be the kind of support that was really needed to lift up the community and, and to come alongside our black brothers and sisters. And so I asked Daryl, is this something that concerns you and what he might have to say about that? I would, I would probably say for me, it has not been a personal concern mm -hmm. uh, because thankfully at this point, most of the people, most of the pastors, most of the individuals that I'm encountering uh, are not at that place. Good. Uh, but I do think it is something to be mindful of is that people do get to a place regardless of what it is and how sincere and how passionate it, it may be of an idea to you that we have to be mindful that other people can get to a place of burnout. If, if, if that's what we talk about every time you and I get together, there's going to be a time where it's like, well, I'd just rather not hang out with them. We've got to keep talking about this, you know, yeah. especially I think if you don't begin to see solutions or see changes, if it, it can't just be the same old conversation all the time. And so I think it's something that I'm probably conscious of, but not so much worried about at this point. I recently had a friend of mine tell me that lots of white church leaders and some of his white friends were coming to him, asking him what they needed to do. And he told me that essentially what he would tell them is do the work, go and learn, listen, know more so that you can eventually do more. But his efforts were needed in his community. You know, he needed for me and for other church leaders like me to to do the good work of learning and, and beginning to dig deeper into the issues. 
so that we didn't come to the table expecting him to have all of the answers. I asked Pastor Daryl what he thought about this. Yeah, but but I think that's a good statement that you made though. Uh, and I actually just had a conversation with somebody this morning, which makes this funny, is that we were just talking about what it means to do the work is that for so long, there have been people who say that they want to learn, who say that they want to participate, who say that they want to be an ally or whatever word, people are using different words now that you want to be a co-conspirator or be a disruptor. All of these words are coming. But the challenge is, is that you can't just come to the table as a blank slate. You have to come to the table having done some work, having, I mean, especially in the age we live in and technology now, there's no excuse for not being able to find a documentary or an article or read a book or any of those things just to become more aware so that you don't come to the table and put all the burden on the other person teaching you, catching you up to speed, and then telling you what to do. That's the exhausting part. What I think is so important about doing some of the work up front is that I believe, and I could be wrong, but I believe that there's something different that takes place in the individual when you make the effort to do some of the work by yourself. Mm, Because I think if, uh, and I'm thinking, you know, Pastor Leon, if you decide that you want to learn more about this and you get a book and you read it or you watch the documentary, then there's a chance that that book, documentary, or whatever it is, is going to move you in a fashion where it's going to confirm, it's going to convict, and it's going to do all of that so that by the time you and I get to the table, you're not sitting at an emotionally neutral place, but you're Mm -hmm. in a place where you've already been touched emotionally, intellectually, uh, spiritually, and all of that. So now we're working through it together. We can walk alongside each other instead of uh, you at the table or me at the table waiting for somebody to spoon feed me and then tell me how to feel and then tell me what to do. And so I, I just believe that there's something special that happens in the person when they take that effort and energy to do that. I recently attended a workshop that uh, Daryl was helping to facilitate, and uh, he was the leader of the small group that I was in. Uh, One of the participants brought up the concept and the idea and the phrase Black Lives Matter and essentially admitted that this was a difficult phrase for them within their context. And their context happened to be a much more conservative, evangelical, non-denominational kind of church. And so those kinds of statements, um, especially the one Black Lives Matter, was problematic um, for them within their context to be able to affirm that without commentary from people within their congregation who might take offense or might have an issue with some of the uh, principles and some of the ethos that the organization Black Lives Matters espouses. Pastor Daryl did a masterful job of responding to that, and so I asked him if he would do the same thing, that he would address here on the podcast uh, what he believed was important about the phrase Black Lives Matter and, and why it's important for Christians to affirm that and to be able to support that statement, even though they might struggle with some of the issues and some of the things that the organization might espouse. Here's what he had to say. But but yeah, it's I think a lot of people struggle with trying to determine a separation between the organization and between 
what what it means mm. you know and so what i like to suggest to a lot of people is as you've already stated a lot of people may go to the website or may look at whatever they look at under black lives matter and you don't agree with 100% of what that organization does but the meaning behind the reason why people are using that as a theme and the reason why people are chanting it is because really all lives can't matter until black lives also matter yeah. And that's really what the point is about, is that if you look at this country, if you look at all the things that take place as a result of how people are being treated, the only conclusion you can come to is that black lives don't matter as much. Right. You know, and so when you see the way that people are treated uh, when it comes to encounters with the police, when you begin to see systemic things that are still happening with right. uh, the rates of loans that you get, depending on who you are the way that real estate people are showing you where to live in the city based upon who you are. When right. you start to look at income brackets, when you look at all of these various things, you have to make the conclusion that if it's not that black lives don't matter, they definitely seem to matter less. Mm. That is so true. And that is, that is exactly kind of what you said. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, um, someone explained this, explained it to me like this, and it was something that I've been able to use occasionally, but it, 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 it just has made sense to me, even, yeah. even in a time when I was trying to, you know, um, some time ago, I guess when, I, when Black Lives Matter first, you know, mm -hmm. started rolling out, um, it says, you know, all your bones matter. Yes, yes. <laughs> but when one of them is broken... <laughs> It matters more. <laughs> yeah, you're going to do what you have to do to get that one set and fixed. And then absolutely. Then you can worry about the other bones, right? You can, you know, <laughs> I can take care of my other bones, but this one hurts, you know, and, and that, I mean, that's, you know, that's essentially, that's a, you know, a, a you know, a, a Pauline kind of approach to the, <laughs> right. The body. But, you know, when, like you said, when one part of the body and this, you know, and taking this even, you know, even further into our context, yes. when one part of the body of Christ is wounded, yes, Christ is wounded. That's right. All of Christ is wounded, right? Yeah. And I think that's um, part of the amazing conversation that at least I'm trying to be a part of is to help. Uh, I love the way you say that as our siblings in Christ is to help them to really put into action what it means to be a sibling. Um, mm. understanding that none of our families are perfect and right. understanding that you may have a sibling you've not spoken to in 15 years. I get that. But right. it's just at the base relationship is that if you and I are brothers and sisters in Christ, there are some expectations I have of my siblings, even if we don't get along all the time. Right. I expect my biological siblings, if I'm hurt, uh, if I'm sick, if I'm in a tragic accident, I expect them to at least pause long mm -hmm. enough to find out what's wrong with me. Am I okay? What can they do? And I think in our Christian context, uh, as a whole, we don't take enough time to do that. And, and that's kind of what I think has been beautiful even leading up to this, because if we step outside of the Christian context for a moment, um, you may already know this, but I have a, a dear friend who is a Jewish rabbi, and he and mm -hmm. I do a lot of things together. And it's been amazing to me how when tragedy strikes in the Jewish community, he and I are able to, I reach out to him to make sure he's okay, to find out what I can do. 
when things are happening in the African-American community, he's one of the first people to call. Are you okay? Yep. Are you? And it's just interesting how sometimes we can do that outside of our Christian family or outside of our denominations or whatever it may be. But those of us who are supposed to be, it often takes us the longest time to do that for each other. In 2016, I had the opportunity to serve with my good friend, Bobby Masingwa, who you've heard here on this podcast. Uh, we served together on the General Assembly of the Presbyterian Church USA, and we were both part of a committee that fashioned an apology on behalf of the Presbyterian Church USA, an apology for its complicity in systemic racism in the United States. And I remember Bobby speaking about that with me, saying, I can't believe that I'm sitting here right now working on an apology that I'll put my name on, that I'll, I'll support, that I'll embrace. An apology for things that a bunch of white people did a long time ago. And of course, that made us both chuckle, but there was some truth in that, and truth that is centered in the way that even though we may not have participated in some of the injustices of the past, and in Bobby's case was so far removed from it, but even though we didn't participate, we owned our parts. We own the, the, uh, the responsibility to apologize, to, uh, to make things right, to begin to work for a more just and merciful and equitable world. And so I asked Daryl what he had to say about that. And real quick, one of the one of the most beautiful things I heard was from a new friend I made this year in the body of Christ. And Leon, he used a passage of scripture in a way that I had not thought about. And he just referenced the early part of the book of Nehemiah, mm. how Nehemiah goes before God and prays about the sins of the people and how Nehemiah says, God, forgive us. He yes. included himself in the sins of the people, even though that was the generation before him. And when I heard Absolutely. that young man say that, it just blew me away of what a perfect picture that is of what it's going to take for us to be together, to stand together, and to fight this thing on racism together as a united church. Is that we have to pray a prayer like Nehemiah, asking God to forgive us. You know, I, I know that your family didn't have slaves. I know that you didn't kill anybody. I know that you didn't. But at some point, we have to find out how to help people get past what I personally have or have not done, but understand that we're a part of this whole machine that, that played this role in history. And so how do we do that? I wanted to ask Daryl about frustration and hope. I didn't want to just dwell on his frustrations. I wanted to have some hope on the other side of that. And, and he agreed that that was something that he definitely wanted to share. But before we could get to the hope, we needed to be real and we needed to be uh, honest about the things that are actually still happening, the things that are still frustrating. And so I asked Daryl, what are those things? What still frustrated him? What did he wish could be made right? And here's what he had to say. I think probably what's been 
most frustrating is uh, a couple of things. I don't want it to sound like I'm living a totally frustrated life, but. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, yeah. I, there's I hope on the other side of this, too. Hope on the other side, yeah. <laughs> I guess one of the things is when I just think about um, the state of humanity, and I know that that sounds like a very church answer to give, but no. here's why I say that. I think about the things that we as human beings are arguing and fighting each over each other mm. about. When I see things on the news where people are, I'm not gonna wear a mask, you can't make me wear one, it's my freedom, it's my liberty, and they go through the whole list of, of whatever they believe. It just hurts my heart to know that we are possibly living in a time where people don't even wanna take a moment to think about the well-being of somebody else. Absolutely. We, we get it. The mask is uncomfortable, yeah. we get it. It's not fashionable, even though people are trying to help that part. <laughs> uh, it's yeah. hard to breathe, it's hard to do whatever. But the overall scheme of things is that if I can do this little inconvenience to save somebody else's life, you would think as a human being that that would override any other thing I could do to personally justify not doing it. So, so, so when I hear conversations like that, it's frustrating for me. Um, it's still a little bit frustrating to me that it's 2020 and we still are having the incidents with, you know, George Floyd and, and, mm -hmm. and all those things that are taking place. That is still frustrating because I think about uh, my senior pastor and I think about um, my parents and I think about other persons who have lived, you know, beyond my time. And they're telling me that when I was your age, we had the same conversation. We had the Man. same issue. We had the, you know, so that that's frustrating because I really feel for a lot of those who have come before me, they're still living, but they come before me because you're talking about exhausted from having conversations is that they're to the place where they're refusing to have them now. Right. Because history has proven we're going to talk, we're going to do whatever, and nothing changes. And you right. can't change their mind because it's 2020 and they went through this in the 60s. And so how do you convince yeah. them that conversations now are going to change what 50 years couldn't change, you know? So those are just kind of some of the frustrating things I think about that, you know, just, just kind of give you some unsettling moments. While there are still many, many things to be frustrated about, I, I did want to hear Daryl talk about his hopes because he is full of hope. I've seen him exhibit it. I've seen him talk about it, and he lives it. Uh, and so that's what I ask him next. Where is the hope in the midst of this? How are you feeling hopeful today? So, of course, um, the hope comes from, of course, knowing that, that God knows what's happening. I mean, God is not sitting somewhere with a blindfold, feeling you know, his way around and all of that. So, of course, that's where my initial hope comes from. But I'm, I'm hopeful because of a couple of things. There's a generation, and I don't like having this conversation because then it puts me in a place where I'm supposed to be starting to get old. But there's a generation <laughs> of young people coming behind us who are fearless, who are mm -hmm. articulate, and who have in their mind that this will not continue. Right. So I'm, I get excited when I hear 18 and 24 year olds and 27 year olds talking about, we're gonna be part of this protest, we're gonna be part of this movement and we're changing things, not just by talking, 
But when you have 20-year-olds creating nonprofits and creating organizations to change lives for people right now today, then that gives me hope. Um, I also get hope when I see clergy around the city who have never had relationship together, when they've never had conversations, that now they're mm-hmm. sitting in a room sharing their perspective, sharing their experiences, talking about how can we represent the United Church in our city better Absolutely. so that we can be a role model, not just for the city, but for the country. Those are the moments that give me hope. Um, you know. And then, like I said, just having conversations like this one with you and with other clergy people that I'm developing relationships with because I know that it's not just an ally thing. I know that it's not just a moment, but as I've heard a lot of people say, it's a movement that's going to last beyond us. And so I'm hopeful every time I have one of these kind of conversations that are bearing fruit, that are giving us somewhere to go, something to do next, and that we're past the kumbaya moments and, and the photo ops. I told Daryl that I could not agree more with what he was just saying, that once we get past those kumbaya moments and photo ops, it needs to get real. And and so I confessed to him that this was an issue that was close to me, that I did not want to just have my involvement or my energies or whatever efforts that I was making to be just something that would pass away quickly and move on to the next thing. And I told him that The time for silence, at least in my case, was over. And it didn't matter to me whether um, I lost people in my church or people were offended because I was speaking out against injustice and standing for what was right. And quite honestly, lifting up the truth about Scripture and the way that Scripture speaks to these kinds of issues. Um, And... This is what he had to say in response to that. Uh, That's what's kind of exciting and fascinating for me is I remember one of the first phone calls you and I had is that I asked you a very personal question about being in your context and what does it mean to make a statement and to stand up. And I have some other friends who are white clergy around the city and it's empowering to me to hear them say, I had a member yell at me or I had a member send me a nasty email today because I prayed that God would end racism Mm -hmm. because they, you know, and it's, and it's really interesting how I think about my friends and colleagues who are making those steps, who are putting themselves out there. And that just gives me energy to know that a conviction has taken place where they agree with you that they could no longer be silent, whatever the risk. I asked Pastor Doe what he might have to say to white church leaders who were convicted, who were feeling as though they could no longer be silent and wanted to learn, wanted to engage and to listen and to know more so that they could do more. And so I asked him what he might say to those kinds of leaders as they embarked on this journey. And this is what he had to say. I would, um, I would tell them to be encouraged because there is a whole, there's a whole set of clergy, uh, I, I hope I can speak this, that there's a whole group of clergy in the African American church who are standing with you, uh, <laughs> as you as you make those bold professions of equality, equity, and justice. And so just know that you're not alone. 
uh, know that there are going to be tough moments and, and there will be moments that even I can't understand that you will have to face because as an African-American, I get it from one direction and it comes a certain way. Absolutely. But as a white clergy person, you're going to get it a whole different way. But understand that even though I may not fully understand it, um, that we're here with you and that we're standing with you as you do that. And I think also what the, the moment, what you mentioned earlier is the idea that when we talk about justice, we're not straying away from the Bible. We're talking about what the Bible talks about. Jesus lived exactly. to have justice for all people. I mean, how can you go through the gospels and not see Jesus hanging out with people that nobody else wanted to hang out with and mm -hmm. fighting on their behalf? And right. so I would say, to, to, you know, to, to stay strong and to do those things. But I would also tell you to make sure that you listen to God, but also be strategic. Mm. Make sure that you put some thought into what you do because you can easily get distracted and begin to play the game. Let's put the banner out and see if they vandalize it over here. Let's put it on this place right, and see if they right. it. Let's, you know, and, and at that point, you're missing the point of why you did it, you exactly. know? And so figure out how you can strategize and begin to do messages over the pulpit that they cannot vandalize begin to do things over the media over the airways that they cannot hijack right. uh, and just be strategic about what you do and ask god to give you a sense of innovation in what you do so that it's not the same old thing and the same old argument but but ask god to help you to heighten your sense of awareness and do things that people cannot uh, manipulate or destroy after the fact Oh man, that is just so good. Yeah. 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 Because, you know, the, <clears throat> the, the gestures are great. Yes. I, mean, I think they're great, but oh, yeah. the consistent message, the words, mm -hmm. the guidance, the, you know, the, you know, just constantly doing those kinds of things and keeping that in front of your congregation so that they, you know, I mean, that, that's, that's where it's at. Yeah. So what are, is there, um, this has nothing to do with any of the other things, but <laughs> so um, what are you read? Is there something you're reading right now? Or, or did you give like reading a break after you got done with your demon and having to do all of your, uh, all of your stuff? It's uh, no, it's funny that you would ask that. And so uh, even though it probably would have been smart to let reading go, uh, <laughs> I've had people actually give me books and uh, there's a book that I'm reading now with, uh, Interfaith Action of Central Texas, the, the interfaith religious group here in town. I serve on their board and have been awesome. for a number of years. And so they've been convicted that they want to do something different to fight the system. And so we're reading the book, uh, How to Be Anti-Racist. Oh. And so we're starting to read that together, which is a very interesting read. And so I'm early in, but I am, I am captured by that book. Um, and, you know, yeah. and so there's a lot of different books that people have given me um, that I haven't had a chance to open yet, but I'm looking at them. There's one called uh, The Color of Compromise is another one mm. that someone recently gave me and The Color of Law. I'm not sure if there's a theme there, but uh, <laughs> so, so I'm kind of randomly reading a lot of things um, at the moment just to, like you said, broaden my, my inventory of, of things I hear. And, and hear right. different voices and different perspectives of things. Uh, and especially so that I can, um, as I have friends or colleagues who say, what do you think I should be reading right now? What do you think? You know, I got to expand more than the five I had last month. I got to have something I else. <laughs>
same thing happens with Jesus' death. In his final words, the veil comes down so that all might be able to see. And what's amazing to me is that the verse before this, he said that it was dark. But yet and still, the very next verse tells us that he saw the veil being torn. So can I suggest to you that it's never too dark for justice to be seen? Matter of fact, I believe that it was Dr. King who said that when it's darkest is when the stars shine the brightest. And so here it is in this moment when all of creation is mourning over the death of Jesus, when all of humanity is sobbing because Jesus is dying, that it says that the veil has been torn, people's eyes have been uncovered to what is truly taking place. Can I talk about final words? Here we are removed over 50 years of Dr. King's final speech. Memphis, Tennessee, April of 1968. You remember the speech. He says that he's been to the mountaintop. He says that I may not get there with you, but you need to know as a people we will get to the promised land. I know there are some of you who are asking the question, well, Dr. King, when will we get to the promised land? Because it seems like times are just like it was when you were walking the earth. It seems like folks are still being discriminated based on the color of their skin. It still seems like folks are being denied jobs. It still seems like folks can't get health care. It still seems like the world is pinned against us because the color of our skin. Martin, where is the promised land? All I can tell you is that Jesus put it in the hands of his father. Well, thank you for being here with us for this episode of the Pastor Cast and for this conversation with Reverend Dr. Daryl Horton. And I hope you enjoy just a little bit of a taste of uh, Pastor Daryl's preaching there at the end as well as the beginning. We are going to continue these conversations, and there's more that is going to be happening on the Pastor Cast uh, as we keep the issue in front of us. We don't want to let this just become the story du jour. There is work to be done, friends, and so do the work. Thanks for being here, and uh, we'll be back again very soon. Uh, if you want to know more about what's going on in my work and the things that I'm doing, you can visit leonbloater.org, and you can also uh, visit me on Facebook. Uh, and uh, I also do a daily Devo on Facebook Live that you can join me on as well. And I also want to tell you that you are welcome, no matter where you live, no matter where you're from, you are welcome to be a part of my congregation in Austin, Texas. You don't have to live in Austin to be a part of our church, and you can see us each and every Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. Central on Facebook Live. You can find us on Facebook at, at SHPC Austin. And you can like and follow our page and get all of our notifications of all the things that we're doing, including uh, some conversations on racial injustice that we are holding now. We're, in, uh, we're a couple of weeks into our conversations, uh, but they happen on Wednesday evenings. And you can find out more information about those on our Facebook page, or you can message me uh, individually uh, on Facebook, or you can email me at leon, L-E-O-N, at shpc.org. 
Uh, and uh, you can also um, uh, just email our church from our website as well, uh, www.shpc.org. Thanks for being here. I hope you all have a great week and stay safe, stay healthy, wear your mask, take care of one another, and we're going to get through this COVID stuff. I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.